You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Episode number 73 of that one time on tour is brought to you by the band Sales Up. Sales Up is a rock slash post hardcore band formed in Bellingham, Washington in April 2019. Blending a modern sound hearkening back to the pioneers of the past, Sales Up will take you on an exciting journey that will leave you with a sense of finding home. For more information on Sales Up, you can check out salesupband.com or Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at salesupband. Now here it is, their new single, Invertebrate.
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey there, this is Rody Walker from Protest the Hero, and you're listening to That One Time on Tour. everybody out there in podcast land what's going on this is chris swinney as always i am your host for that one time on tour if this is your first time listening this is my podcast where i get to sit down and have an awesome conversation with someone in or around the entertainment industry thank you so much for checking out last week's episode with trevor riley from a wilhelm scream it was so much fun and I got a lot of great feedback, and I think you guys really enjoyed it. So thank you for that. <laughs> this week is amazing. I'm so excited. I got to sit down with Rody Walker, vocalist extraordinaire for Protest the Hero. I've been listening to Protest the Hero for forever, man, like all the way back to their first record. Rody has such a unique way that he sings. And I just love his melody choice. And we talk about all that. We talk about everything. We talk about them going independent and actually winning a Juno with their independent record, Volition. And it's 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 in a wonderful conversation. And you guys are going to love it. But I've got some other stuff lined up in this intro that I need to talk about. First off, I need to give a shout out to Josh Mann, my buddy from the band Paper Arms, out of Australia. He's going to be on the show here very, very soon. I've loved this band for so long. And he, out of the blue, sent me a care package that had basically all of their albums on vinyl and one of the albums on CD. And I, I didn't really know anywhere around here that I could get it. And it was it's amazing. He spent like $50 shipping me stuff. So Josh, if you're listening, thank you so much. I, I've, I've already been listening to the stuff and, uh, I got to say, man, that's probably one of the coolest things anybody's done while I've been doing this podcast, and I really appreciate it, and I will cherish my records, my Paper Arms records forever, man. So thank you very much, and look out for the future. Josh is going to be on the show, and you guys are going to get to hear all the cool Paper Arms stuff. They are one of my favorite bands, and hopefully they'll be one of your favorite bands as well. So shout out to Josh. Thank you very much. Uh, I also put this thing up on Instagram, your first punk show. I guess you could say, you know, hardcore show, punk show, whatever. And my first punk show, it was crazy because it came up. Uh, somebody actually sent me this poster of what my first punk show was. 
and it was Offspring headlining with Rancid opening up at Second Avenue in Indianapolis, Indiana, October 19th, 1994. So that kind of, that was the first time I ever went and saw a punk band. I was already into the Offspring and, you know, some no effects and whatever, but that was my first show. So coming up on October 19th, not only is it my daughter's second birthday, but it also is my kind of first punk show birthday, 25 years later. That's pretty insane. So uh, I got to thinking, what are some of my listeners' first punk shows? So I put that up. I've gotten all kinds of responses. I'm going to wade through all the responses. And on next week's episode, I'm going to read some of your responses, what some of your first punk shows were. So if you know you haven't told me yet, you can DM me, you can email me, whatever you want to do, or you can just comment on the picture. But I want to know what your first punk show was. That's a really cool thing that kind of ties us all together. Like some people were saying that they their first punk show was Warp Tour in 2006. You know, some people said they they saw the Ramones back in the early 80s. I mean, there's it doesn't matter when you got into the genre or when you got into independent music, not just punk rock. It matters that you did. And you're listening to this podcast, so chances are you're into some sort of underground or independent music. So I want to know, what was your first punk slash hardcore slash ska slash R&B, reggae, whatever. What what was your first like taste of something that wasn't at an arena, you know, like a big show? So go ahead and leave me comments, email me, DM me, whatever. It's at TOTOT Podcast on all the socials. And you can hit me up, TOTOT Podcast at gmail.com. Now, I want to tell you about our Patreon. If you guys want to get involved in the show, head on over to patreon.com forward slash T-O-T-O-T podcast. We got a new patron this week, Julian from Montreal. Thank you so much, Julian, for getting back on the Patreon train. He was on Patreon for a while and then he jumped off, but he jumped back on. So I want to say shout out to Julian. Thank you so much for coming back to the family If you guys want to help us out, head on over there, patreon.com forward slash T-O-T-O-T podcast. I'm going to be posting some new exclusive episodes and all kinds of cool stuff that you can't get anywhere else. So if you think that this show is worth something to you, it's always going to be free. But if you want to help us out, help us keep the lights on, head on over to our Patreon. Speaking of keeping the lights on, I do have a couple sponsors I want to tell you about. The Merch Planet, I love The Merch Planet. They are one of the most affordable merchandise companies around. So if you're in a band or you're in, you have like a company that needs merchandise, or if you have a family reunion coming up and you want shirts for everybody, whatever you need, head on over to themerchplanet.com. You're going to hear a commercial later on in the show about The Merch Planet, but I love them. They are an amazing sponsor and thank you so much merch planet for keeping this thing going and supporting us. I also want to tell you about permanence tattoo gallery. I tell you every week, my buddy Jacob Harrison past guest of the show owns permanence tattoo gallery over in Anderson, Indiana on Meridian street. It's the most amazing shop you'll ever set foot in and they're amazing artists. They have amazing prices. You're going to get your money's worth. You're going to get a great tattoo. So head on over to Permanence Tattoo Gallery, and you can hit them up at Permanence Tattoo Gallery on all of the socials. 
Okay, so before I jump in to my conversation with Rody, and it's a good one, so it's it's worth the wait. I want to tell you guys about some stuff that's going on here at my house, and it even freaks me out to talk about it. You know, uh, I've told you some stories about my old studio that I owned with Brian from the Ataris called the Gallows Recording Studio, and I had a little segment I was doing called Ghost Stories from the Gallows because we always kind of had these weird experiences at the at the at the studio. And uh, I haven't talked about this much, but I want to bring it up. You know, I want to be transparent with you guys and honest, and I, and I, I want some feedback. So I don't really know how I feel about paranormal stuff. I I watch all the shows, the ghost hunters and the ghost adventures, you know, with the, the bros. Like, I don't really like those guys, but they're they're interesting to watch. But um, lately, my son, Silas, who is three, he's going to be four in April. He's been talking about the boy. And uh, I, he's just been talking about this little boy that he sees in the house, in his room, in different places. And he plays with the boy and he talks about, you know, I was talking to the boy and all this different stuff. Well, we kind of, it kind of freaked us out a little bit, but we didn't really think much of it because my wife and I, even though we enjoy the paranormal, we don't really know what we believe as far as that goes. You know, it's kind of far-fetched. But uh, the other night we were in the toy room and we were playing with the kids. And all of a sudden my wife looked like she'd seen a ghost. I guess that's where the, the expression comes from. She saw a little boy in the doorway kind of watching us with the kids and uh, it really scared her. It really freaked her out. And I, I could tell that it wasn't a joke. I could tell that she wasn't kidding. It it really kind of, you know, made her jumpy and, and, and really scared her. And so I've been kind of half wanting to have an experience and half not because I'm kind of scared, you know. And uh, nothing's really happened. I, I felt kind of strange the other night and I heard a spoon fall in the kitchen on the floor, but I don't know. You know, I, I'm, I, I go off of Occam's razor, whatever the simplest answer is, is normally the correct answer. But right before I came out here to do this podcast, to do this intro, we were putting the kids to sleep and my wife, Felicia, walked past my son's room before we were in there and she saw him again in bed. <laughs> like waiting for us to come to sleep because I usually read Silas a story and it really freaked her out again. And I'm, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what to believe. I'm a pretty level headed guy. Paranormal stuff is cool, but you know, I'm not like, I'm a, I'm a skeptic that kind of thinks it's fun. <laughs> so I want to know what you guys think out there. You can email me tototpodcast at gmail.com. You can hit me up on all the socials. Like I said earlier, that is at tototpodcast. And I want to know your thoughts. I want to know your thoughts on my situation. And I also want to know if you guys have any stories of your own that kind of deal with the paranormal. It's a, it's a cool topic to talk about. And, you know, I, I love tangents on this podcast. This is a music based podcast, but I also want to talk to you guys about all kinds of stuff. And I, that stuff kind of intrigues me. So hit me up on the socials or email. Let me know what you think of my situation. And I want to know about your situation. So uh, before I jump into my conversation with Rody, please subscribe, rate, and review to the show. It really helps us out. 
And uh, we just got some great new reviews. Thank you guys so much for doing that. It, it kind of helps us gain visibility. The more reviews we get, we get put with other podcasts in the You Might Like section and whatnot. And we've been featured recently in the music interview section of the Apple Podcast app. So that's been great. And we've had some great numbers. And I just, I love that you guys are going on this journey with me. And thank you. I love you. So I'm going to quit rambling. No top five list this week. No TOTOT radio. I'll be back next week with a TOTOT radio segment. But I'm going to jump into it because I've talked long enough and you guys are ready to hear it. This is a good one, man. Rody Walker from Protest the Hero. We had such a great time talking. And uh, I, I feel like even though I think Rody and I had met in the past, I feel like I've got a new friend now. I've actually, we've texted back and forth since we had our conversation and uh, I'm trying to get Rody to do a little Rody's joke segment on future episodes where he calls in and, and leaves a joke and then I post it. So we'll see if that happens. He thought that was pretty cool, but uh, I don't know. We need to talk about it a little bit more, but this is my conversation with Rody Walker from protest the hero. I hope you guys enjoy it. Here we go. And I'm on the line with Mr. Rody Walker from protest the hero. Rody, how are you doing today, man? Oh, couldn't be better. Couldn't be better. How are you doing yourself? I'm doing wonderful, man. I'm really excited to have you on the show today. I've been a fan for quite a while, man. Well, I'm excited to be here. I'm a fan of the podcast. Well, I just, uh, the thing that struck me about you guys, I, I got into you guys on, is it Kazaya? Kazaya? How do you say that name? Kazaya, yeah. Kazaya, yeah. I got that uh, as like a promo from Vagrant or something, like way back in the day. And yeah, I just, yeah. I thought your vocals were just like, the most unique thing I'd heard in a long time, man. Well, thank you very much. They, uh, they tend to be quite polarizing. Polarizing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, the one thing I wanted to get out of the way, right. You know, at the beginning is I know you and I both are huge propaganda fans. So big time. can you tell me like how far your love goes back for propaganda? I've had Chris on the show before and uh, they're, they're such a great band, man. Yeah. Um, you know, like we grew up with the fat comps and the epitaph comps, and obviously, uh, I can't remember what one it on, what it's on, but there's anti manifesto was on one of them, yeah. and I was a big big fan of the song like right off the bat. And then uh, our drummer and I were we were in a record store, and uh, I just I was gonna buy a record. I didn't really care who it was by, and then I went, hey, you know what? I kind of like this band, and I bought Less Talk More Rock. Awesome. Uh, I think I was in the eighth grade maybe maybe just in high school and it was like i listened to that record it was like friday night i listened all weekend came to school the next day being like you guys got to check this record out it's incredible <laughs> um and then today's empires came out and it was just like holy heck like these guys are something different like did you realize at that point that they were like from your home country because i mean i i remember when i got into them I was really young as well. I think I'm a little bit older than you. I'm 40. And when I got into them around the same time, I never realized that, you know, where they were from. And then later on in life, I realized they're from Canada. And then I would tour up in, in you know, Winnipeg and different places. Did you have that kind of understanding that they were from your country? At the time, I don't think it would have mattered to me, but I don't think it, it really registered. Like, yeah. you know, like being 12 or 13 years old, it didn't really matter where anyone was from because the world seemed too big anyway you know like winnipeg was far beyond my field of vision um like they might as well have been from southern california like the rest of the band yeah yeah right but um shortly thereafter you know 
when we started touring, it was just like, oh, this is really cool, especially going to Winnipeg and going to like the Mondragon Cafe and stuff like that and being like, oh shit, this is where Propaganda's from. <laughs> you know? And it's like that. It was uh, genuinely, truly inspiring that someone could, would come out of one of these small places in Canada and be able to accomplish so much. So what was your like first, was that one of your first musical memories or your first bands you got into pretty heavily back in the day when you were young? Uh, I mean, as far as, as far as like the punk scene goes, yeah, for sure. But I mean, when I was a kid, I was big Garth Brooks fan, which is to not, which is not to say that I'm still not because I he's, am. he's amazing live. I still haven't seen him live at all. My friends have, I want to go see him so bad. Oh, he's so good live, man. It's, it's unreal. Uh, but yeah, no, I, like I was a big Garth Brooks fan as a kid, big Elvis Presley fan, Queen, stuff like that. And then uh, sort of stumbled upon No Effects and Propagandi and Lagwagon, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, the, there it unfolds before me. So what, what out of those bands back in the day, like, were you into any of the grunge stuff at all? No, not really. I mean, like, that was... Like our older siblings were probably into the grunge stuff. Yeah. Like I remember going over to our guitarist's house and his brother was wearing like a homemade mother love bone shirt. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I remember thinking that was really funny, you know, like, cause we were just a couple years younger than them, but yeah. it was still like, I hear a lot of people say like, Oh, what my older brother or older sister was listening to was so cool. But I remember thinking that what they were listening to was so lame. Yeah. I like, just feel like you guys are losers you know, like you listen to this like sad sappy pathetic slow music i just want to listen to like a punk beat and someone like kind of joking in my face <laughs> so where where does the inspiration for how you sing come from because i mean like you said it's pretty pretty polarizing i've not heard a lot of guys it does have some elements of metal but it also has a lot of theatrics in it i'm sure you've heard that before oh absolutely um I mean, I do, I do love heavy metal vocalists. Like, there's a lot of guys like Bruce Dickinson and stuff like that that I admire greatly. However, I would say the most metal and least metal guy who I consider uh, to be one of my biggest influences is Cole Wilkinson, who was like Jean Valjean in Les Mis, like the original Broadway okay. production of it. And it's like he sounds like friggin russell from symphony x he's got that like deep slow vibrato with the (laughs) and it's like super dramatic and super brutal but it's like also kind of beautiful and wonderful his range is massive and it's like he's the best heavy metal singer that doesn't sing in a metal band ever i've got to tell you like the funny thing about what you're saying is is like i've been listening for a long ass time and when I hear your vocals, it actually has, now that you say that, I can see that influence of Les Mis and like just other stuff, not just theatrical stuff, but that, in fact, that musical. I think that's so great that, I mean, you're portraying that. I can tell that. Oh, I, I very much love Les Mis uh, <laughs> and the performance of such. Like I, I like memorized the original Broadway cast of it and just. I, like I can't get away from sort of imitating it at all times. Like yeah. as much as I'd love to be like a cool punk vocalist and this, that, and the other thing, I, I can't because it's just like the Les Mis influence is too strong. And I just want to like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's, that sets you apart. I, I think that's a really good thing. I mean, being different isn't bad all the time, you know? 
No, not always, but <laughs> not in, this, always. in this rare scenario, yes, it's quite bad. <laughs> so why don't you take me back to 1999? You formed a band at that point called Happy Go Lucky, which is quite the polar opposite name <laughs> to what you guys became. So take me back to 1999 and kind of explain to me what was going on in your life and, and how this all came to be. Yeah, I mean, we were we were kids living in the suburbs and we were listening to a lot of music. We listened to a lot of skate punk and whatever was going on at that time. And then funny enough, our drummer got a guitar and he started learning like power chords and like looking up all the power chords online for the songs. And he was like, it's super easy to play guitar, (laughs) (laughs) which is a hilarious notion. But um, after that, you know, Tim, our guitarist, and Luke, our guitarist, also got guitars. And they were like, it is super easy to play guitar. And then I got a guitar, and I was like, hey, I'm actually finding it quite difficult. But <laughs> <laughs> um, so then, you know, we started just, like, playing guitar together, playing the songs that we loved. And then it was like, well, someone's got to sing. And Chody, you suck at guitar, so you should sing. So I, <laughs> I sang. And then after a while, it was like, all right, we got three guitars, no bassist, and no drummer. And Mo was like, I'll play the bass. And then Mo played the bass for a while until we found Arif and Mo played the drums. And then we turned into a band somehow. Was that band kind of more skate punk-esque, that happy-go-lucky with a name like that? That's what I'm envisioning. Oh, absolutely. It even had like ska elements because the original uh, four of us all played the trombone. Wow. <laughs> I played trombone as well, man. Well, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Another thing in common, man. <laughs> It's actually quite funny. This this has to do with you. Okay. Um, I like every summer when I was younger, I'd go to my cottage, and I came back from my cottage. We went, oh, let's do a band practice or this, that, or the other thing, and uh, they were like, hey, we're actually covering. Like while you've been away, we've been covering San Dimas football wow. high school rules. Okay, or, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I was like, oh, cool. So we tried to play it, and like I couldn't figure out the key to sing it in. Like, I was just young and inexperienced, and I was <laughs> yeah, just yeah. like, we played it once, and I was like, no, guys, like, I'm too cool for this. Like, I think we should do something more like the Misfits or No Effects. Like, this isn't, like, the real deal, because I was just trying to, like, mask the fact that I couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah. And they were like, they were like, oh, that's all right, because we've been practicing with Steve, and Steve slays this song, dude. <laughs> I was like, who the fuck is Steve? The Steve guy came out. He's like, last night I had a dream. <laughs> it was just like magical and perfect. And I was like, cool. But like, do you guys want to be known for playing like that kind of stuff? <laughs> That's awesome. Man. Well, I mean, anyways, I'm, I'm not taking any offense because I was not in the band when that song was written. So, <laughs> <laughs> Hey, no, that's a great song. Uh, I, I will like, tell you that uh, I'm not sure on the, on the record what key it's in, but it is in the key of C, C major. Okay. So. Well, maybe one day I will figure it out. I'll tell you what. Uh, we'll, we'll do, we'll, we should collaborate on a cover of it. I'd really like to hear you sing that song, man. I'd love to sing it. That would be awesome. I, I'm I'm 100% down. Dude, it's it's crazy too. Like the Atari's had so many like, you know, quote unquote hit songs or songs that people like. But when we were on Warp Tour and like anytime we've ever been out with bands like Craig Owens from Chiodo sang that song with us and like oh yeah so many different people. They're like, I want, we want to sing San Dimas or like other guitarists from other bands. I remember like Lags from the Gallows got up and played that song with us because like everybody for some reason knows the words and the chords to that song. That was always <laughs> oh yeah. That was always like the hey come hang out with us and play on stage song. So yeah, it's funny because there are definitely bigger songs in the Atari's catalog, but yeah. it's like 
That that one sticks around though, man. It really does. That's the one for sure. <laughs> and it was funny too because every uh, Chris always changed the lyrics because that song originally back in the day, you know, back in ninety nine, ninety eight, whatever, was about an ex girlfriend of his. But uh, <laughs> everyone that he's ever dated or, or or anytime he wanted to just change the words to something funny, he always like changes the names and all the different stuff in that song to fit. I was uh the funny thing was I used to be in a band called Chronic Chaos like this kind of metallic punk whatever kind of band I started in high school cool. and yeah. uh, every t- every time we would play a gig and one of my guys from that band would be in the audience instead of saying Wayne Newton play a song for you he'd say Chronic Chaos play a song for you <laughs> like he'd always change he was always quick on his feet you know he'd change the words oh, that's awesome so we'll quit talking about my stuff. This is you're my guest. I got to talk about protest the hero, man. Well, I'm glad to talk about you all day, man. <laughs> so you guys were in Whitby, Ontario, correct? Correct. I've been through there. I'm very, very good friends with the guys in the Reason, which back then were sewing with Nancy. I've spent oh yeah, I've spent so much time in those little suburbs like Hamilton and and Dundas and all those places. I want to ask you: Do you uh, ever go to Pizza Pizza? You know what? Um, Pizza Pizza was for a long time my favorite pizza chain, uh, even though it is god awful. Oh yeah, I mean it's the uh, cheapest shit you've ever had in your life, but I mean it's it's cheap. It is good, man. Oh yeah, like after the bars in Whippy, like when we were like nineteen, twenty, whatever. You know, like you go out and you get drunk, and then the place to go was Pizza Pizza at oh, two yeah. o'clock in the morning. Like so, everybody's just there, absolutely shit faced, <laughs> ordering a slice and some dipping sauce, and it's just like it. It was also the place that you went to like get in a fight or, you know, <laughs> just get in trouble. But did you ever get uh, in a fight at Pizza Pizza? Not myself personally. Not yourself. Uh, people that you know. <laughs> I, I witnessed several. <laughs> awesome. That's awesome, man. I was, uh, there was one time when I was on, I was touring with The Reason and uh, we had like a three week like break in between a West Coast run and an East Coast run. So uh, do you know Cubby? Do you know James? Oh, yeah, yeah. I was staying at his dad's place in uh, in Dundas and they all had jobs and everything, but I couldn't go back to the States because I didn't have a way and I was doing the rest of the tour. So I was basically sleeping till like 2 PM every day. And then his dad would make me like grill out every day on like outside in the backyard. Like we were making Buffalo burgers and all kinds of crazy stuff. So I basically just hung out with Mr. Nealon for like three weeks by myself. That sounds like a pretty good time. Man. It was pretty good, man. And we were going to Pizza Pizza. We were doing the whole thing, man. I, I love it up there. Hey, this is Chris from that one time on tour. Odds are, if you're listening to this, you're in a band or know someone who is. One of the biggest problems facing bands is finding affordable, high-quality merchandise. Well, not anymore. The Merch Planet offers soft, high-end quality shirts starting as low as $6 a piece. And right now... They are offering 15% off your first order to all TOTOT listeners. They have lightning fast turnarounds and ship everywhere throughout the U.S. and Canada. Head on over to TheMerchPlanet.com and use the promo code TOTOT15 at checkout. You'll be glad you did. You got like a real Canadian awakening. Oh yeah, man. I spent so much time up there and I've been to all the maritime provinces, which, which I know you guys... I didn't take a lot of notes on this, but like probably an hour ago when I was looking at stuff online about protest, the hero, you guys have a song about Newfoundland. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. We can, have a, can you walk me through that? Because I had so many good experiences in Newfoundland and I'd, I'd like to hear 
why you guys kind of hold them in such high regards to actually write a song about them. Well, I mean, like, that's exactly it. Like, we we had had such positive experiences in Newfoundland. Um, and it was just like, when writing the record, I was sort of running low on ideas. And then all of a sudden, it sort of just came to me. And I was like, man, it would be nice to write a song as an ode to those people and the kindness that they've showed us over the years. Um, also, it would be a lot of fun to go there and play it for them, assuming that they enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, like, I mean, that, that's all it really is, is it's just like, We've made more friends there than anywhere on earth. It's gorgeous had, there too, man. It's one of my favorite places. I love it. Oh, absolutely. And it's just like, we, we've had the best shows there, the best times there. And it's like, if there was any place on earth that I was going to write a song about, it was for sure them, you know? That's awesome, man. <laughs> so uh, let's get back to the timeline, kind of. So you guys, you, you were happy-go-lucky. Were you just playing locally during that time? Were you playing at like, your school? Like, What were you doing back in that day? Yeah, we were playing um, like band wars and stuff like that, you know, like the kind of thing where it's like battle of the bands with a Z and you got to go <laughs> sell a bunch of tickets, but you don't make any money. Yeah. Uh, you know, just the same old scams. We did a bunch of those and then we started putting on our own shows. Uh, we did one at a place called the Chameleon Cafe in Ajax. And then we did a bunch at the Dungeon in Oshawa, which... Uh, I'm sure you've been to several times. Yes, I have. <laughs> uh, and then it just kind of, you know, we, we met people through doing that. We met Mark Spickluck, who was putting together a label, and we got recording and touring, and it just sort of snowballed, you know. And, like, at some point he was like, you know, we'd had a bunch of people come to us and be like, you you got to stop going by this name, Happy Go Lucky. It is so stupid, and it does <laughs> not represent the music that you're playing. Yeah. So we just wrote out a big list of stupid names and Protest the Hero was on there. And, and that happened around 2002, correct? If I have, if I have my, my timeline correct. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Okay. <laughs> you know, like, I, I well, don't know. Well, I wanted to ask you, uh, as you know, I always go through and I just I look at Wikipedia, which sometimes fucking sucks. But then I also oh, yeah. go on, I look at other interviews and everything. Now... I know awards probably don't matter to you. They don't matter to me. They shouldn't really matter to anybody. But I know that in 2004, which is kind of before you guys signed to Underground Operations, you guys actually beat out Alexis on Fire for uh, for the favorite metal artist in the Canadian Independent Music Awards. How, how did that all come about? You know, I, like it, the whole night is kind of a blur to me. We were young. We were drunk. The Trailer Park Boys were there. The Joey <laughs> awesome. Shithead was there. Wow. Biff Naked was there, and it was just like, "What the heck is going on?" And uh, were you were you guys still unsigned at that point? We we were like Underground Operations was like forming, and uh, it was forming yeah. around the bands that were uh, there, including us, right? So it was like we were sort of signed, but to a label that didn't exist <laughs> but in 2004 i mean alexis was kind of becoming huge in canada i mean i know they hadn't caught on oh, quite yeah. yet in the states yet but i remember i mean i've i know jordan pretty well i know i know steel and dallas and those guys and mm -hmm. i mean in 2004 that was kind of like it was starting to happen like they were oh, yeah. they're all over much music and everything was just blowing up right mm -hmm. yeah no absolutely i mean it wasn't like it wasn't about like beating Alexis on fire yeah, or yeah. anything. It was just like, you know, and I, I don't really know. It, it's hard to imagine what it was like. Cause we were so shocked. We had to go up 
uh, and speak in front of this crowd on a microphone. And we were just <laughs> stupid little kids. And it was mostly just kind of embarrassing. Uh, but, you know, like it, it's cool. Like we got a little thing that's in my parents' basement, I think. And uh, I don't really know what to say about it, to be honest. No, no beef with you and the Alexis guys. <laughs> No, no. It's not. It's not like when Jethro Tull won against Metallica at the Grammys. You know what? I don't know anything about that. Oh, you so. don't know about that, man. Metallica. I, like I've heard. I've heard whisperings of it, but I like I don't really know the specificities of it. Well, I'll tell you in a nutshell very quickly, and we'll get back to the other stuff. Uh, so, sure. justice and justice for all. You like that record? Sure. Okay, they put that out. One was the first video that they ever did. They were up for like the Grammy for best metal performance, whatever. And Jethro Tull, the classic rock band that always played the flute, they of actually course. they had a new song out at that time too, in 1988, 89, whenever it was. And Metallica was like the shoe in, man. They were going to win the Grammy the first time they'd ever been nominated. And they were ready to go up. They even performed at the Grammys for the first time ever. And Jethro Tull beat them. <laughs> and all their flute playing glory, Jethro Tull won. So. I kind of love that, though. I kind of like, do, too, man. I mean, maybe it lit a fire under their ass. That's where the Black Album came from. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I mean, if Metallica won that, it would be like, oh, well, Metallica won a Grammy. Yeah. Like, that's that's how it would be remembered. But now it's kind of gone down in infamy because it's like, Metallica were cheated by Jethro friggin' Toll. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. Okay, so you guys, you said Underground Operations was kind of like forming around you and some of the other bands. What were some of the other bands that were like your peers at that time in the Ontario area? Um, there was Bombs Over Providence, to who still to this day I very much love. Like I still put on their records every now and again and go, what a what a friggin' band. Um, Closet Monster, Maryland's Vitamins, who were defunct at the time, but they were still putting out their like best of or whatever it was uh hostage life i think was another one of them and i'm gonna feel really bad if i forget anyone but i don't believe i have <laughs> okay so underground operations they you know you guys signed with them around 2005 when everything was coming together you guys mm -hmm. re released recorded and released kazaya with them but then it ended up coming out on vagrant later how did you like get the whole deal going with vagrant yeah, I don't really know. Uh, well, I mean, I like I do know I was there, but it was just like, you know, again, it was like a tornado of shit coming down. Had you guys um, played the States very much at that point? I don't I don't believe we had at all. OK, um, so we were just getting ready to do that. We got offered. It's kind of funny. We got offered a Nickelback tour. Really? Uh, ac across Canada. And not like we hadn't released um, Kazaya yet. And we had just we had just had out this EP. And we got offered it, and we were going into the States, and we were talking to a bunch of different companies, uh, a bunch of different record labels in the States. And one of them, I can't recall exactly who it was, but they were like, you need to turn that tour down. Like, you are going <laughs> to look crazy if you come into the United States after freshly getting off a Nickelback tour yeah. in Canada. It's like, I very much regret turning down the tour, because as though I'm not a Nickelback, Nickelback fan, it's like, what a peculiar experience that would have been oh yeah i mean the, you guys <laughs> you know? are polar opposites of what they're doing and like i mean that are they that big in canada i mean the states they're massive they play stadiums in the states oh yeah no they're stadiums here as well okay like it's kind of funny for all the hate they get it's like lots of people love them 
lots and lots of people love them. So it's like every time someone's bashing Nickelback like crazy, it's like there's probably two people out there that love them for every one of you. <laughs> You know? I mean, I, the way that I look at it, I'm kind of like you, like I'm not a Nickelback fan. I don't knock them. I just think they write formulaic lowest common denominator rock music. And that's why so many people love them. I don't think they're not talented. They know how to do it and they do it well, you know? Yeah, no, I agree with that. Yeah. I don't, I've never met those guys. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I know people, people have told me that they play, people have told me that at their live shows, they get pretty heavy though. And they play covers and stuff. So maybe I'll go see Nickelback. Who knows? Yeah, they did like a, a the Much Music video party or whatever. Not video party, Much Music video awards. They played, and I remember watching it on TV just going, what is this? These guys are heavy <laughs> as hell. Yeah. But uh, it was quite remarkable. But as far as Nickelback goes, I'm not a fan. Yeah. I yeah. never have been. <laughs> Same here. Uh, but yeah, so we went into the States, and we took meetings with like a bunch of different labels and they were all fantastic and all wonderful. Some of them wanted to like kind of upstream us to majors, which yeah. uh, could have been a good idea. I don't know. At the time we were just like, not a chance. We, we don't want to do anything like that. And we met with the people at Vagrant. They all seemed kind. They all seemed like they had a similar mind frame of what we saw ourselves as. Yeah. So it was like, we signed with them after our album had already been released in Canada. And then it was released like a year later in the United States. We hopped on warp tour and man, it was wild. <laughs> I think I remember seeing you guys on that warp tour. I don't know if I can't remember exactly what year that was, but I, I seem to remember watching you guys quite a bit. I don't what, what stage were you guys on that year? That year vagrant actually bought. Oh, they, they had the like vagrant stamp theater. They? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I remember that. That was cool. We did it. That was 2006. And then we did it again in 2008. Okay. The one thing that I was really, you know, I, I kind of, I guess lost. I used to follow you guys quite a bit. I think after fortress or scurrilous, I kind of, I kind of quit following you for some reason. Oh yeah. A lot of people did. Well, no, and that's not, I'm not to say that the <laughs> stuff was bad, but I know that you did those two records with, with vagrant as well. And then you decided to do this independent thing can you give me kind of like the high points of that? Like what was, did, did they not want to sign you again? Were you kind of over the whole label aspect of everything? Cause I know a lot of bands with crowdfunding and with everything that's out there now, if you have a loyal fan base, there's many ways to do it. And the old model doesn't always have to be the way to go. So what, what made you guys want to try a different approach? Well, uh, we had had some disagreements with the label and it's like nothing, necessarily against them uh we were always difficult to work with and uh <laughs> you know so like they did a couple things we didn't like and we did a couple things they didn't like and i just you know we kind of went our separate ways when the deal was done right yeah, yeah. so we were sitting there working on a new album after we had released scurrilous it had been a while and people seemed less interested than ever in anything we were doing so we thought whatever let's shoot for the moon right let's like throw up a hail mary uh our drummer brought up this idea that like he's super into video games actually that's what he has found himself doing since he left the band is he like writes soundtracks for video games and so on and so forth but uh he was like these fucking gofundmes and you know crowdsourcing things are doing crazy things for video games yeah. he's like like I bet that it would be pretty wild for a band, and we looked it up, and there there had been some bands that had done it to uh, varying success. Uh, so we thought, you know what, like 
whatever. We're pretty much finished anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so like, might as well do it. And, you know, we put some time into it. We put some effort into it. We made like a cute video and yeah. we, we released it. And that very night we just watched it like go absolutely wild. Yeah. Because I mean, what I saw on the internet was that you guys wanted like a, an original pretty steep goal of one twenty one hundred and then you guys, right. you guys got like triple that in like 30 hours or something. Right. Yeah. It was pretty wild, man. Like we, we got the goal in 18 hours. Wow. If memory serves. And it was just like watching the friggin' thing go wild was insane. And then at the end of it, we managed like, it was like $341,000. All of all of which just like disappeared. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, cause people don't understand. I mean, I'm sure some people maybe thought that $125,000 was kind of being greedy, but people don't understand that you don't have a label. You have to do everything yourself, all the studio stuff. And I know that with you guys, the way that you guys, you know, the kind of the way your guitarists are and how the music is just so, insanely technical and precise i'm sure that you're doing that in an actual studio you're not just like doing that in your bedroom on a macbook right i mean like we could have done it in, a, in our bedrooms on a macbook and we should have done it in our bedrooms <laughs> on a macbook but no we went to like a full-blown studio we went to revolution in in toronto and uh, it was a wonderful experience but would i do it again absolutely not yeah you know like it cost it cost all the money essentially wow um but so it's like for this album that we are have just completed, I spent a while just turning my studio into the basement. I spent my basement into a studio. Sorry, I got freaking mixed up there. But uh, you know, I, I, I took two thousand dollars of my own money and just like redid my basement into a studio, and that two thousand dollars is going to save the band thousands upon thousands of dollars. And it's like the same result will come out of it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I I'll kind of go back on what I said, like. I think going to a studio that like, if you do it the old school way, you go to a big studio, you've got this like crazy producer, you're going through everything. But then again, with technology being the way that it is, if you just, you know, do some acoustic treatments and have the right equipment, you can kind of do whatever you want. Right. That's exactly right. Like, you know, the microphone we rent is the same microphone we were using in uh revolution. It's a very expensive microphone, but it's like 200 bucks a month. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so Whatever. that that record that you guys made through the crowdfunding was Volition. Now, was that completely independent, or what? Did you have like distro through somebody? Yeah, we got distro through Sony in Canada, um, and then like as soon as the Indiegogo came out, we took meeting after meeting of people that wanted to give us like advances so that they had us in their back pocket. And I know to some people who aren't initiated into the whole process, sounds like oh nice, you get a big check after you made all this money but it's like no like that's just the way labels keep you in their back pocket they keep you indebted to them and it's all freaking thing oh, yeah. but so like they kept offering us stuff and we eventually took a meeting with a fellow who we had actually met for uh when we initially went into the states so we met this fellow named pete and uh, he was working with razor and tie okay um you know we said to him like basically he was saying the whole same song and dance that every other label had said was like 
oh, well, you know, the Indiegogo was great, but it's no big deal. We've got to really get the wheels in motion. It's going, well, it was a big enough deal to get your fucking ass out here right now. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's but, what I wanted to talk about. Like, I knew you may, you might have had some distro to get it out and whatnot, but you guys won the fucking Juno that year for that record. Like, yeah, that's yeah. that's I mean, like I said before, we we're talking about awards. Awards don't really mean anything, but. To those of you out there listening that aren't like from Canada and don't know it, Juno is kind of like a, a Canadian Grammy, correct? Correct, yeah. I mean, and you guys won that for a record that was self, it was self, like self funded. And I mean, that's got to feel kind of cool that you guys were recognized for something that you kind of did on your own. I mean, with your fans, of course. Yeah, I think like the narrative of that is what helped us kind of win the Juno as well. It's like they're like, wow, well, these young go-getters put it out there on the world alone it looked really good to to the people judging i suppose so how how was it uh at the genos that year did you guys go and like accept and give your speech and everything no we never went um (laughs) we were we were playing in europe we were uh, well actually we were in the air when the award got announced we were flying back from estonia i think okay we we uh showed up for the second night but our award had already been awarded so it was like we landed in vancouver and they're like you want a juno and we were like oh cool <laughs> <laughs> do you have the juno like somewhere in your house or is it at your parents with the other award oh no the juno's here oh yeah <laughs> where is it is it prominently like displayed somewhere oh you bet it is it's uh it's like my wife has this like mid-century hutch thing i don't really know what to call it but it's like the only piece of my like paraphernalia that she lets hang around in the main floor of the house. Have you ever seen that uh, that picture Jerry Cantrell from Alice in Chains? He has one of his MTV awards. They're like a moon man. He's got it as a, a toilet paper dispenser in his bathroom. <laughs> I always thought that was pretty funny. It was for like video of the year or something back in the 90s. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's really funny. Yeah, yeah. But I'll tell you what, like the Juno like legitimizes things like as much as it's like i don't care about awards i don't care about any of this shit really it's like the juno legitimizes things in people's eyes that like i shouldn't care to legitimize in front of you know like when you get a haircut and the hairdresser's like what do you do and you're like i play in a rock band and they're like oh cool (laughs) how old are you again you go well i got a juno yeah (laughs) and i've been to south africa Oh, you know. dude, I've been to South Africa. We should talk about South Africa, man. You guys went so there and Africa played? South Africa is a beautiful place. Oh, yeah. We went We went there in uh, 2009, and we I think we were there for almost two weeks. We played everywhere you kind of can play. Yeah, yeah. No, we uh, we went twice in one year. I think it was, I want to say 2015. But we went and we played one, a big sort of festival in Johannesburg, and then we came back with those same people and did a full tour uh, for a couple of weeks and just, just had an absolutely uh, amazing time. Did you guys have any like downtime? Cause we were, we were lucky enough that we had like a day between each show. So we got to go see the penguins in Cape town and we got to do like, see great white sharks in Durban and all, all kinds of fun stuff, man. Oh yeah. No, we had the exact same thing. It was a uh, day off between almost every show and it was just like eating and drinking. And we went up table mountain. We didn't go see great white sharks, but we didn't like, okay. we didn't I'm go okay. in the boat. We just kind of saw them from the beach. <laughs> you could see oh, okay. them though. Yeah. yeah. Shark watching from a distance. That's <laughs> the only way I would do it. <laughs> Did you try any, uh, unique food over there? Because I had 
what I was told at this restaurant was actually a monkey burger, and I couldn't tell you if they were being truthful or not, but it wasn't very good. <laughs> I, I can't imagine monkey would be very good. Well, I just, you um, know, whenever I went to a weird country, I was always like, if there's something different here that I can't really eat back home, I'm going to try it. Like when I was in South America, I had guinea pig, and it's like one of my favorite things now. I wish I could, I'd go to a pet store right now and get one, but you can't, they frown upon that in the United States. I mean, they frown upon it, but what you do in your own house is your business. <laughs> I know, but I also, I don't know. I, I, I don't think I could. I mean, have you ever had cooey, is what they call it? Have you guys been to South America? I've been to South America, never had guinea pig. Well, see, I, mean, I, was, I was in uh, Ecuador the first time, and then Peru the second time. And when I was in Ecuador, it was actually at the equator. They had this little cafe and you can, you have to pick your guinea pig. Like you pick your lobster at red lobster. It's really creepy, man. <laughs> Just straight up eating guinea pigs on the equator. Yeah. No right. <laughs> but no, so I had this monkey burger when I was in South Africa, we were outside of somewhere outside of Johannesburg, like out in the middle of nowhere at this little like, Just like outside of the monkey sanctuary. <laughs> yeah. Right outside the monkey sanctuary. I don't know. <laughs> But uh, are you a guy like that, though? I know you guys have been to a lot of, like, you know, different countries like I have. Have you ever tried some weird stuff that maybe isn't the norm as far as North America is concerned? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I, I I like to fuck around. I mean, most meat tastes the same. Yeah, it I mean, it's, it's usually it. what it's seasoned with anyway, right? Yeah. Um, I'm a big fan in Japan. You can get, like, horse sh- sashimi. I, I had right? horse tartare in Paris. Yeah. Yeah, it's it pretty pretty good, man. <laughs> pretty similar thing. Yeah, no, I I acquired a crazy taste for it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like they say if you try human flesh, man, you'll you, you'll always crave it, right? Well, that's the craziest part is that I had always heard that horse tastes like human. I've heard that like, too, man. Yeah, it was like so when someone offered it up, it was like that's why I want to try this. Like I don't <laughs> yeah. care that it's like a horse. I'm not trying to like eat a horse or anything like that. Yeah. But, I want to see what a human might taste like. Yeah. That's all. So, I mean, I if, if human person, tastes like think... horse, I would, I think I might be into eating some human. I don't know. <laughs> oh, if people taste like that, let me tell you something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, we're, we're going to get arrested by the podcast police talking about cannibalism, man. That's all right. What the podcast police want to do? I know, right? So, uh, what are some of the weirder, like, I guess weird's not a great thing. I've got listeners from 95 different countries. I don't want to offend anybody. What are some of the more, like, like, you know, further out kind of places you've been kind of like South Africa? Have there been any, any countries like that? Um, we did like a kind of full Asian tour. Okay. It's like there was like a whole bunch of places in there that I don't have like that much desire to return to. (laughs) (laughs) Like it was way too hot. Uh, Mind you, like they're not way out there, but like, you know, Singapore. Yeah. Yeah. Singapore is awesome, man. Singapore was incredible. That's like, honestly, I think they might have sang the end of Mist a little louder than the people of Newfoundland themselves. Wow. It was like, it was shocking. It was. Well, the next record, you guys have to write a song about people from Singapore, man. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I had a really good time in Singapore. I mean, Bangkok, I don't want to say anything super negative, but it's too hot for me. And I got fucking super sick from the food. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but that's not that's not their problem that's a me thing right like i yeah. ate some food off the street like while we were sitting in traffic i just like <laughs> asked some guy for some thing on a stick and i ate it and i was sick 
you know, big one. Well, no, when we were in, uh, when we were in Stellenbosch, South Africa, which is kind of this little college town outside of Cape Town, our drummer hadn't, he forgot to eat when we were at the hotel and there was no catering that night. So he went out to the street and there was this guy selling stuff out of a cart and he got a bunch of sticks or whatever this meat was and ate it all. And then our tour manager came up and she's like, you know, you're eating dog, right? Oh, and he like, oh man. And it was funny. Cause I brought that up when he was on the podcast and he had like no recollection of it. I'm like, dude, that was like the funniest thing that happened that whole tour. But here's my thinking about that. Like if you're going to eat like cow and pig and you know, all this stuff, it's like, We've domesticated dogs, so yeah. we have this affinity for them, but it's like, what's the fucking difference? Yeah, because cows are cute, you know, pigs are cute, we still eat that. Pigs are, pigs are smarter than dogs. Yeah. You know, so it's like, if you're going to eat one, like, like, I don't want to see, like, in that, you know, they have that festival in China where all these, like, sickles from all over the country come and, like, beat the shit out of dogs. Yeah. I don't want to see anything like that, but, like, people being so adverse to dog meat and not at all adverse to other types of meat like pork and beef. It's a little hypocritical. Yeah. And I mean, you know, some places in the world where they eat, you know, you're talking about Asia, like a lot, some people ever eat bugs quite a lot. You can get bugs on this, you know, street meat, you know, Mm -hmm. guys selling crickets or whatever he's selling. I mean, not a good protein. Yeah. In a lot of the world, that is a huge protein source. So anything like that and especially dogs like i don't i have a dog i love my dog i I don't want someone to eat my dog but i mean an animal's an animal if you're gonna eat one i don't see why you discriminate against another yeah and which leads us right back around to why we should be eating other human beings yeah that's correct (laughs) we should be eating other humans i mean we're just fucking animals man do, do you know uh i was i was watching this thing the other day this documentary they were talking about you know, out in the old West in America, back in the, you know, 1800s or whatever that the, the cowboys or whatever you want to call them, they would actually just like chop a piece of their horse's ass off and cook it and eat it. And then just like stitch up their horse and bandage their horse. And every couple of days they would just take another piece off their horse as they were riding their horse. Like at what point do you no longer have a horse left to ride? Yeah. I mean, if you get really hungry, I guess you're just going to eat your, your whole ride, man. I mean, I guess like desperate times, desperate measures. Yeah. Right. But I just I thought that know. was crazy that, yeah, you're just taking chunks off of your, your pet basically and eating it every day. So you stay alive. Yeah. I mean, it, it kind of makes sense. Like you're out there like horses. I'm sure they weren't viewing them as pets as much as yeah. they were viewing them as like a means of transportation. Yeah. And you know, like if you're way out there in the middle of nowhere, you ain't got nothing to eat. You're, you're, you're too stupid to hunt. You know, <laughs> just have a little bite of your horse. Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh, I want to get back onto Volition because I have this awesome like question. Chris Adler played drums on Volition yes, from Lamb of God. He also played Megadeth and in Testament. How did that come about? Did you guys like have a relationship with him prior or did you reach out to him? Yeah, we knew him uh, previously. Uh, Our old drummer was like, I I don't want to say good friends with him, but friends with him. Like he hooked Mo up with like the Mapex stuff. And now Mo's Mo is still on the boxes of Mapex drum stuff, but he hasn't been in the band for like ever. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, Chris was, you know, he, he had been always super supportive and, and like, he'd come out to our shows when we were in the area we'd hang out and have a couple beers, this, that, and the other thing. And also it helped that we had the same management. Uh, <laughs> so it was like, it was really easy to contact him. Just like, Hey man, Mo left the band. 
uh, how you feel about sitting in for some stuff. And he was, he was a little apprehensive, but in the same, he was like, oh, you know, whatever, just pay me money. And we said, <laughs> that's completely agreeable. <laughs> that's awesome. And I mean, the drums on that record are amazing, man. So, I mean, you guys, you guys got the right guy for the job. Oh yeah. No, he, he did a banging job. If you don't mind the pun. <laughs> he did a banging job. Yeah. <laughs> So Volition, also, I was going to ask you about this. It, it leaked a little bit early, correct? I think so. And you guys had to like give out the the rewards or whatever for the crowdfunding. Do you guys have any idea of how it leaked or who leaked it? Nah, I mean, I, I do remember that because we had to send out all the download codes and this, that, and the other thing, right? But uh, I feel like I'm saying this, that, and the other thing a lot. It's very <laughs> nonspecific and easy yeah. to just like summarize bullshit. Yeah. But uh, I just always yeah, wonder so when something leaks like that because I've never really been involved in something like that, but it seems like it happens more often than not. And I mean, who are these fucking people that are at the studio like leaking this stuff? That's why I didn't know if you guys had like an idea of who did it or you guys had a story about that that time. Um, I can't remember if it was this record or another one, but I think it was one of the um, like we sent it out to the press, right, for like reviews and yeah. whatnot. Um, I think that was actually the record before when it leaked really early. Volition, we held out uh, pretty well to the end, but it did leak. So there's there's a lot of different variables when it comes to a leak. Like everything will leak now. However, um, you know, it's just like trying to prevent it as much as possible. And it can leak in so many different ways. Like some guy can pull a CD out of the production line and just be like, well, this is mine now. And I'm going to go put it on the internet. Yeah. So it's like, I don't understand the motivation behind it, but in the same, like I can't necessarily fault them because it's just like, people are fucking crooks yeah. <laughs> all of us you know i mean that's the thing like i i get mad and like a friend of mine's album will leak or whatever but it's like i go on the internet and steal shit all the time yeah i mean i don't think leak i mean i we haven't put out a record in like six years so it's difficult to really say but i don't think leaking is as big of a deal now that uh, most people listen to music via streaming services yeah yeah because it's just like, oh, you're going to open up uTorrent, you're going to search your favorite torrent site and <laughs> torrent it and do all this crap and then put it on your phone versus like... <laughs> well, see, like, I, I'm old school, man, because I have I have bands that sponsor these episodes, like unsigned bands. And nine times out of ten, when I'm like setting everything up with them and they'll send me the email and I'll say, make sure to send me a wave file of the song so I can put it in my DAW and I can, you know, put the podcast together and it'll sound good. And they always yeah, yeah, send me a link to their Spotify page. I'm like, I need an actual, like, I guess that's not even a physical copy, but a digital like file of your song to put into my computer so I can do it. <laughs> they don't uh, understand. Yeah, of course, right? Yeah, yeah. But it's know. like, yeah, it, it, everything's changed. Everything's changed and it's like... I, Sometimes I think it's for the best. Sometimes I think it's for the worst. Like it's just another way that people can exploit artists, but whatever, man, I was never that good of an artist to begin with. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, you were <laughs> <laughs> once upon a time, <laughs> once upon a time, not anymore. Of course, <laughs> of course. <laughs> no, but have you guys seen like a spike? I know you guys have been doing some like special edition vinyl and stuff like that. That's, I mean, 
as far as the digital stuff and the streaming, like I haven't put out anything for so long. I haven't been in a band that's really been active for so long that I don't, I mean, what is the climate like? Are you thinking about physical copies when you're doing this stuff or are you thinking about streams? I know nobody's making any money off streams. I think, uh, I don't know. Like you, you do think about physical cause vinyl is very much back, right? Yeah. Like when you do the like limited releases of stuff, it's like a way to sort of, let people know you're still alive and also you know keep your children fed while you're between records yeah um but i I think you think about both i think about both anyways like you know with as far as the streaming goes like i like i i think about it a lot because it's just like why don't you just try and produce something as cheaply as possible like not necessarily for a band like i wrote a song just like as a whim about the toronto maple leafs a little while ago and like I sent it to a friend, got it mixed and mastered, and then just like put it up. And it's like, you know, I think about the streaming of that. Like it made me a little pocket change, which was yeah. kind of nice because it didn't really cost me anything. So, in that respect, it's like if you can do things cheaply, uh, you you can think about the streaming revenue. But um, why bother? I mean, you are getting nickel. <laughs> you are you are getting nickeled and dimed at the end of it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> So you guys, the the last big thing you did uh, was the Pacific Myth EP, which is you kind of did another unique kind of thing with your fans where you released one song a month as like a subscription type thing, right? Mm-hmm. How did that all go? Did you guys find that? I know there's probably a lot of work that goes into that. How How did that whole thing go for you guys? It was so much harder than just like writing an EP. Because <laughs> it was like, like we started with, two songs i think the first two songs and we had them done but then it was like after that it was like oh shit we gotta get like caught up and it was like every month we were writing and recording and releasing a song and it was just like it was too much (laughs) you know (laughs) and like kids like some kids criticize us on those songs be like oh the lyrics there's mixed metaphors it's sloppy and bad writing and this that and the other thing it's like add a fucking month to write a nine minute song i don't know yeah but it like it was a really cool experience, and I'm very proud of those songs. Um, I'm very proud of what we were able to do in that limited time frame. Looking back, I wish that we made like a reality TV show about it. It's the perfect premise for one of those stupid shows. You know? <laughs> have, you, like have you seen the, the the No Effects uh, backstage passport thing? Oh, of course. Oh yeah, man. That's, you guys should do something like that, man, on the next tour or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that'd be cool i mean you know, we're always shooting videos like we always have a ton of stuff there's there's a ton of footage from uh the volition days and the kazaya shows and all that stuff that we just haven't used I yeah <laughs> I, I was i was gonna watch that uh the documentary but i i wasn't quite ready to pay the 15 dollars. <laughs> yeah no fair enough. fair enough no i'm probably gonna do it but it was like an hour ago and i'm like well i'll just do the interview and then i'll go back and watch it <laughs> You really don't have to. I mean, I'm interested now because the first episode was free, and now you got me hooked, man. <laughs> Actually, you know what? I'll, I'll I will send you a link for it. Oh, you don't you don't have to pay us. You're the you best, man. I, I appreciate it, bro. <laughs> no worries. So, uh, I want to talk about the new record. I've seen on the Instagram that you're recording vocals, and. Mm-hmm. I, I know that in 2018, you guys kind of paused everything and you had to cancel a trip to Europe and Japan due to some vocal issues. Are you healthy now? Is everything feeling good with the new record? Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, it took me a year 
to record this record. It took me three different engineers, you know, like coming in and coming out. It took forever. I was doing vocal lessons, just trying to get my voice back. And then one day, just like, like I was down in my basement singing, recording every day. And uh, just one day, it just kind of like popped back. Yeah. And it's like, um, it, like it's been a lot of work and I've had to work my ass off harder than I've ever had to do on any record to get the, to get the sound that I want. But I'm very happy with the stuff that's come out as much as it's been a pain in my ass. It's like, I wish I was like, you know, 25 years old again and could <laughs> sing any note that I wanted to, but. What, you know, what is your routine for keeping your voice in shape, especially now that you've, you've had some issues and you've kind of had to relearn how to do everything. Do you have like a, a routine that you go through? Yeah, I mean, I have, um, like, I have about half an hour of a warm-up that I do. Like, I think anything more than half an hour is you're just sort of, like, wasting your time. Yeah. But, you know, there's, there's uh, like, I went to this uh, vocal guy named Eric. Is it Eric? Some Justin Stoney, that was his name. And he, like, with, like, a couple half-an-hour sessions, he taught me some warm-ups that really... Uh, you know, got me out of the funk that I was having because it was like I went to all sorts of doctors and they were like, "There's no damage on your vocal folds. You're fine. You should be able to sing." <laughs> right? But it's like uh, I still couldn't sing. My voice was constantly trying to slip into falsetto. Yeah. Right. So it was like I would be holding an note going oh, and it would be going oh, and it was just like, "What the fuck is happening to me?" Like, and I think the reality of it is, it's like, yeah, I lost my voice really badly on the Fortress Anniversary Tour. But more than anything, it's just age. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's like, I'm 33 years old now, and it's just like, I've been yelling and screaming for 20 years, and I've been hitting stupid high notes all the time, and they're just, my range is, uh, <laughs> it's not as easy to access now. Yeah. You know, it's something that I have to work on that I've never had to work on before, and I work (laughs) when you're coming up with melodies and whatnot for the songs like where does that come from like what is your process for trying to find is it just does it just strike you in the moment and then you work on that or are you like meticulous and like you're picking the notes that you're actually singing because you hit some pretty pretty amazing like your melodies are very they seem very well thought out well, thank you. They are not well thought out at all. Uh, like it's like I kind of enter this like fugue state where I'm just kind of going, Ugh, and at the end I'm like, oh shoot, there's a song that kind of sounds like uh, singing. <laughs> but it's like there there are some things that I do have to work harder on. Like for some reason, the guys like to write in seven a lot. Yeah, and it's like I hate seven, <laughs> and I can always tell when it's in seven. Like I have no theoretical knowledge. Yeah, <laughs> when it comes to music at all. So it's like, I can always tell when it's in seven because it's like all of a sudden it's just like tripping me up and like everything I want to do just sucks because there's no like ending to it. And it seems like you guys change time signatures quite a bit as well, like throughout the song. So that's got to, you know, without having a lot of music theory knowledge or, you know, knowing the count or whatever, like do they do the songs and then let you check them out and you put the vocals on them? Or do you guys all do it in a room together? Like what's the normal setup for that? I mean, we have previously done the, like everybody in the room writing every single part as we move along. But nowadays it's like, they send me a track and I write vocals over it. And it's like a lot of the time I spend, you know, when it doesn't just come to me naturally and I can't just like sing a part over it without even thinking about it, I'm banging my head on the wall. Yeah. <laughs> just being like, 
fuck you guys for fucking doing it. <laughs> you know, but I think my lack of knowledge when it comes to theory is actually somewhat beneficial yeah. um, for the band as a whole, I think. Ignorance, my ignorance, if you will, is quite blissful uh, because it's like I'll take these parts that they write in different time signatures and all I'm doing is trying to sing it like it's in four. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah I got you. <laughs> so it's like my, my stupidity and my ignorance somehow makes the music a little more palatable to listeners who don't have the theoretical knowledge as well. Cause I'm <laughs> sure know? the guys in your band seem like they've got that on lock, right? They think they do. They think they do. <laughs> See, cause I, I teach guitar for a living and like, I, I, I'm pretty well versed in music theory, like all my modes and, and everything that I need to know. And the one thing when I, when I listen to your band is it's just so technically precise. It's, it almost feels like, I don't know. I remember hearing a rumor about you guys and please clear this up if this is not true, but some of my friends in Canada back in the day told me that the first record was written on like that Nintendo or, or like whatever game where you put songs together and then you guys guitar talk. pro yeah <laughs> it's not true um they <laughs> like, like they wrote them they wrote them on that and then they learned how to do it from that i didn't know if that was true yeah, i don't that rumor has like circled around us for a very long time it's so funny. that's an oh. actual rumor because i heard that from people in canada and i was like well, maybe they just totally were fucking with me or something i don't know yeah we because we went from like kind of like a techie skate punk band to like a real techie metallic band yeah. like in a span of like two years. So it's like people didn't really understand that the learning curve was so steep, you know, like that the guys had advanced so well. So it was like, I think this rumor was just started to sort of like denigrate the yeah. like hard work that the guys, have which I mean, and that fucking sucks because like your guitar, like everybody in the band is like, I mean, you included, even if you don't have the, the theory knowledge, you guys are just, you're phenomenal, man. Like everything you guys do is so technical and so great. And I'm a metal guy. Like I, I grew up punk rock and metal, but I mean, I love Metallica and I love Testament and I love Iron Maiden and, and all this stuff. So when I heard you guys, you have that punk side as well. And I think that lets a lot of people in to maybe the other side of the music you guys are doing that they wouldn't hear if they didn't have that punk edge. And I think maybe your vocals add a little bit of that punk edge to it. I very much appreciate that. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Uh, like with that record, that specific record was written in my parents' basement. We sat in a circle, you know, all summer long and just like wrote it part for part. And it was like, it was later transcribed to Guitar Pro and like released as like tablature, but that wasn't for years, <laughs> you know, like it was years down the line. And I mean, the parts were surely difficult. Oh yeah. I've tried to, to teach some of my students some of the stuff and I, I don't want to touch it with a 10 foot pole, man. <laughs> Me neither. Yeah. But, but yeah, like it was, it was challenging. It was difficult. Um, and it was a lot different than the stuff we'd done previously, but, uh, we were certainly always capable of playing. it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I've got a couple listener questions and then I'm going to let you get out of here. Is that okay? Sure. Absolutely. Okay. Well, you've already kind of brought this up, but Colin from Red Deer, Alberta, shout out to everybody in Red Deer. I've, oh, been, I've been to Red Deer a few times. I, I, uh, I hitchhiked in Red Deer one time in the back of this pickup truck <laughs> and survived to live the tail. I know I'm still here, but, uh, the tail the tail. Colin from Alberta, he wants to know what is the story behind the bee leaf song, which is the song that you were just talking about that you wrote for the Toronto Maple Leafs. 
Uh, the story behind it, the, the Leafs <laughs> lost in game seven once a game. Um, and I sat down, hung over out of my mind with the ukulele, and I just wrote a song. Like, I'm always writing stupid little songs on my ukulele and recording them in my basement. But uh, do, you write songs for, do you write songs for your son? Because I know you're a dad. I write songs for my kids all the time. Oh, I've got a ton of songs for my son. <laughs> <laughs> stupid too. little idiotic ukulele songs. But Yeah, so are all yeah. mine. I have a ukulele at home, and I, I wrote one for my daughter and my son. Like it's, it's all I do all the time. I haven't written a song for a professional sports team yet. Maybe I'll have to do that. Well, that's the next step. <laughs> next yeah, step. Like, that's like I just finally took one of these songs seriously enough that I just like got it mixed and mastered and was like, you know, what? I love the Leafs and I want people to know. And um, it was funny we were talking about like the three hundred forty-one thousand dollars being such a big deal and like, or like the one hundred twenty-five, the initial goal for the Indiegogo being such a big deal when Mitch fucking Marner gets ten point. $8.94 million average annual salary just fucking two days ago. Yeah. Exactly a big deal. Man, I had, I, 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 he just wanted to know about this song. I'll tell you, I had no experience with hockey whatsoever until I started going to Canada with those guys from the reason. And I'll say that I've let my knowledge of the sport lapse, but man, it was, I was into it pretty hardcore for a while back in the day. Who was your team? I mean, I, I guess it was Toronto because that's who I always watched, but I, I didn't really, uh, my cousin played hockey a lot. I'm, I live in Indiana. So, I mean, it's uh, the Midwest. There's a lot of ice rinks and people play hockey here, but I never played. I had a lot of friends that did, but I don't really know all the rules. <laughs> that's all right. You learn the rules. And even then, like, you know, sometimes icing very much confuses the shit out of me. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. I just always thought it was cool that you could like get in a fight during a professional game. You know, or, or, yeah. They still do that. They still fight. Uh, not quite as much as they used to, and it's like certainly headed the way of the buffalo. But that's still around. It still exists. Have you had any uh, like correspondence with the team after you released that song? No, no. Do you think maybe they'll play it at one of the games or something, or one of the matches? What, how do you know? Is it a game or is it a match? Well, it's, it's a game, yeah. Okay. If they did, I would bully shit myself. But uh, Dude, there's royalties in that, man. You got you to oh, nice. get it played over I would highly suspect that it has not even begun to register on any of their radars, so it's, that's all right. You know, <laughs> it's, awesome. it's my ode of love to them, and some of them hate. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, so Chris from Illinois he wanted to know what your favorite video of all time was to shoot. And Chris I, from Illinois. Yeah. Didn't you just say you're from Illinois? Well, I'm from Indiana. This is Chris with a oh, K from Illinois. Yeah, I'm Chris with a I C. Thought, I thought you were going to ask me a question from yourself, but <laughs> a lot, not a lot of people fucking wrote into it. <laughs> no, Chris, from, uh, Chris is in a good band called Black Cat Manor. They sponsor the episodes all the time. But uh, he, oh. he wanted to know what your favorite video was to shoot. And I just wanted to say I, I love the Heretics and Killers video. I love that whole, like, concept but it looked like it was probably not fun to have all that crap on it wasn't that fun but it kind of was as well because like we were out on the street like in young street in toronto and like street cars were going by and we were like waving at them dressed as fucking monkeys <laughs> yeah. it was funny as shit um i think you guys always have cool concepts for the videos i love the fact that like lyrically i know you guys like the kazaya was a concept record and and the lyrics are usually pretty deep and like they kind of they're kind of serious but the videos to me were always kind of like you're showing the other side of your band yeah we, we always thought it was important to show the like duality of the band because yeah the music has such a fucking serious nature to it that we really want to show that 
We're also quite stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know what my favorite video is. Like they're they're always so much work to do. Probably hair trigger because it's like we get to drive around go karts and roller oh, skate. That's an awesome video, man. You know, so that like, that was just like a fun day. Yeah. <laughs> so have you guys done any of those uh like the Canadian grants to do videos and stuff? Oh my goodness, yes. Like all of our videos are funded by the Canadian tax. I, I envy you guys, man, because the states they're cutting all the art stuff down here. It's it sucks, man. Now I don't want to sound conservative or liberal or <laughs> what have you. I don't want to associate myself with any political party, but I believe that the arts need to be cut back. <laughs> <laughs> like honestly though, when I think about fucking us like wasting tax dollars to like make stupid little music videos that are going straight to youtube i think yeah this is kind of a useless program yeah it's kind of cool though man i mean <laughs> it's been greatly beneficial to myself but like as a taxpayer i'm not that stoked about it yeah totally. as a grant receiver i'm very happy about it <laughs> <laughs> hey at least you can just think you're getting a little bit of those taxes back right yeah I mean, it's a horrible juxtaposition. <laughs> hey, I, I, I just envy you guys because if you get sick, you can go to the doctor and not go bankrupt, you know? That's very true. Yeah. <laughs> I was there are grants that like you can get like album grants and touring grants. Oh, yeah. I remember the reason got one of those for either a video or an album or something. I was like, I'd never heard of it before. And I'm like, oh, it's because I live in America and they don't give a shit about the arts at all. <laughs> I mean, fuck the arts, right? Yeah, but, fuck the uh, arts. No. We don't need joy in our lives or anything like that. Well, Rody, I've had you on the phone for quite a while, and I'm having a blast, man. But uh, tell me about the future. I know you guys are, you said you're recording, or you may be close to being finished with the record. Is there any news you can give us on the record? Yeah, I don't know when this comes out, but... Uh, this will be out in a couple is, weeks, probably. Yeah, the record's essentially done. Um we still have to do some group chants. That's about it. And I do want to get a very special guest to do a vocal on it, but we'll see if that happens. Uh, but beyond that, like we're done. Vocals are done. Harmonies are done. There's just like one last day of things that we have to do. And then it goes off to mixing and mastering and fingers crossed. It's out end of the year, early new year. Are you guys releasing it completely like independently again, or are you speaking with any labels? Um, we haven't spoken to any labels, I, which is to say no labels have spoken to us in probably 10 years, uh, <laughs> but I don't know. We haven't really made a plan for that yet. It's, it's just like, everything's been so up in the air for so long that uh, we have no fucking clue what we're doing anymore. Yeah. So we'll see. You guys have any, any shows coming up? Any dates? We don't. <laughs> we're like, we have no uh, tours. We have no shows. We have no plans. Wow. Um, you know, like it's, it's been absolutely wonderful watching all of our money just fall away into daycares and <laughs> you know, like just pissing it all away and getting a little more worried every single day. So, uh, what do you do? I mean, is the band kind of, this is my last question. Uh, is the band like your full livelihood as far as making a living or do you have like a side gig? Like, what do you do when you're not? recording and or playing with the band yeah everyone else has got a side gig not me uh, <laughs> i just sit around play with my son uh let my wife rake in the dough um, <laughs> awesome no but i mean in all reality like i i've done some like carpent not carpentry what i'm saying contracting general contracting with yeah. my brother-in-law you know, stuff to pick up around the house and 
you know, bring my share, my fair share in. I've had to pick up extra work here and there, and I will probably have to do more. <laughs> so how do you, how do you, how do you like being a dad? Isn't it like the best thing ever, man? It's the greatest thing on earth. <laughs> like even like my son is super sick right now. First thing he did was throw up all over my wife today. Oh yeah. I was like, Fuck. Super glad that wasn't me. You know, <laughs> but uh, I love it, man. I love my little guy so much. And, uh, you know, there's nothing more rewarding, not even a Juno, not yeah. even a Grammy. Well, yeah, like before I got on the phone with you today, my, my son Silas, who's uh, he's about three and a half. He it's, it's been a, it's been a trying day. He's, he's had an attitude with my wife and I, and it's, it's, it's been very, very hard. And, uh, but still, man, I look at it, you know, he's the best thing that ever happened to me. And I just, I don't know. I think it's really cool when I meet other people that have been in music for as long as you and I have, and you finally become a dad and I never really thought I was going to be a dad. Did you ever like think you were going to be a dad? Oh, I always had plans. See, oh, I, I wanted to be a dad, but I just never. I don't know, man. I just. I guess I didn't see it. I didn't have my. I didn't have my first kid until I was thirty-seven. Wow. So yeah, that's that's, that's pretty good. That's the wonderful thing about being a guy. You can always have kids, even on your deathbed. <laughs> yeah, like Mick Jagger's got like a six-year-old. <laughs> yeah, what a fucking psycho. <laughs> He's like in his eighties or something, right? That's one of the many benefits of being a male. <laughs> one of the many benefits. <laughs> okay, man. Well, I'm going to let you get out of here. And uh, I, I love the fact you came on the show, man. I've had a blast talking to you. And when this record comes out, you got to come back and hang out, man. Absolutely. 100%. I've had a wonderful time being here. And I look forward to doing it again. Awesome, man. Well, take care of yourself and take care of that little boy. He's, he's real cute. I saw him on your face, on your Instagram, man. Well, thank you very much, man. <laughs> hey, you take care of yourself as well. Yep, I'll talk to you soon, Rody. Thank you. Bye, peace. So there it was, my conversation with Mr. Rody Walker from Protest the Hero. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. It's it's so much fun talking to Rody, and I cannot wait to have him back for a part two. It's just probably one of my favorite episodes to date, just because it was so much fun to chat with him. Like this podcast, of course, people are going to plug their new projects that's part of the music industry and the entertainment industry. But when you can sit down and just have a conversation the way that we just had a conversation, I feel like I have a new friend and Rody is such a great dude and uh, I'm stoked. I, I can't say anything else, man. I, I love that dude and I love his band and you guys need to go right now, buy some Protest the Hero stuff, man. Get some vinyl, you know, buy a CD, buy a cassette. Maybe you can get a cassette somewhere. I don't know. But uh, if you don't want to do that, they are on all the streaming sites. So go check them out. They have so many great songs. You will not be sorry. And I'm going to play some music here at the end of the podcast. But I do want to tell you guys about next week's episode. It's just as good. We're just going to keep rolling with these amazing guests. Next week, I get to chat with Jen Rizavi, Jen Pop from the Bomb Pops, an amazing Fat Records band. We had a really good time chatting over the phone. She was on tour with Teenage Bottle Rocket. She was doing this little like acoustic solo thing, opening up the Fat Rec tour. And uh, we had a great conversation. We, I, we lost the call a couple of times, and, and I had to do some fancy editing, but it's, it's going to be good, and you guys are going to enjoy it. So uh, after you get done listening to Protest the Hero to cleanse your palate, go listen to some Bomb Pops. I think you'll really enjoy it. But that is next week on the program. And man, we have such, so many great episodes coming up that are already done. Like I've got so many in the can. It's crazy. And I just, I get excited every week because it's like, can I top it? Can I top it with somebody else? And it's not that I'm like topping it and making the other ones worse. It's just 
everyone that's coming on the show right now is amazing and I respect them and I love their music. And I'm just so excited to bring these conversations to you guys. So uh, I'm going to get out of here. Before I get out of here, you heard the band at the beginning of the episode, Sales Up. They're awesome. Go to salesupband.com or salesupband on all the socials. If you guys have a band or a company and you want to get involved, you want some promotion, hit me up, Podcast at gmail.com, or you can hit me up on all of the socials at Podcast. Okay, I'm not going to say any more. I'm going to get out of here and I'm going to go to sleep. And I cannot wait for you guys to come back next week. I appreciate the support. Here it is. Skurless is the record. C'est la vie is the song from 2011. This is Protest the Hero. And this is one of my favorites. C'est la vie off of the awesome record Skurless. I'll see you guys next week. Chris out.
Hey, this is Skippy from Pirates Press and Pirates Press Records, and you're listening to That One Time on Tour. If you haven't already, please check out rocktheshipfestival.com. Pirates Press is celebrating its 15th anniversary by throwing a punk rock show on the deck of an aircraft carrier here in the Bay Area. We've got Cox Bar, Subhumans, Street Dogs, Off With Their Heads, Monster Squad, The Drowns, and Territories, and seven other club shows to go with it. Tickets are cheap and going fast. That's rocktheshipfestival.com. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the One Hit Thunder or nothing more than a One Hit Blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods.